I want to look at Psalm 32 with you this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, church, I wish that you would open up and uh, find your place in Psalm 32. Uh, what, what we have in the Psalms, and, and just to kind of to, to, to lay this out, is that God has provided for us through the Psalms a, a language in which to communicate with God. These Psalms were prayers that were used in church. They were songs that were sang uh, in Israel's church, they were the way that the, the church of God communicated to God. And what God has done by recording these psalms for us is to give us a language that we can talk to him. When we're sad, there's a, uh, there are psalms that, that, that pour out that, that heart of sadness to the Lord. When we are afraid, there are psalms like the 23rd Psalm that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I will not fear, for you are with me. The psalms are full of a rich language that lets us and models for us how to communicate to God and how to, um, how to put into words the feelings and the emotions and the things that God has given to us. God has created us as emotional beings. He's created us with feelings. He's created us with, um, with different emotions that, that are a part of this. And, and God calls for us to come to him in the midst of our emotion, in the midst of our feelings. He doesn't ask us to be stoic and to, to be stiff-lipped. He doesn't ask us to come into his presence and pretend that everything is great when we are, we are dying on the inside. So God gives us this language in the Psalms that we can... Uh, that we can come to him. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it's one guy said it this way. He said, the Psalms is, is the language or it's words for every season of life, for every emotion that we will encounter. Today, I want to look at a Psalm that tells us what to do with the guilt that we have over our sin. When we fall short, when we don't meet the mark, what do we do with the guilt that comes? Uh, I believe that guilt is a, an emotion that God has given to us. I think it's an emotion that, that we need to learn how to use, an emotion that, that God puts there within us. And, 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 and guilt can be um, a positive thing or it can be a negative thing, depending on how we respond to it. It can be constructive or it can be destructive. It can be healthy or it can be unhealthy. And I think that what God wants is, is for us to be able to come to him with all of our emotion. Everything that we think and everything that we feel, to be open and to be honest and to be transparent before the Lord. Truth is, we can't hide from God. He sees what's down deep inside even before it leaves our mouth, even before the words are formed on our tongue. God has done that. And, and in the New Testament, God calls us to, to cast all of our cares upon Him. And he says the reason that we do that is that we know that He cares for us. So if we're not sure how to handle guilt, then Psalm 32 is, is going to provide us the insight, the instructions for what we do when we feel guilty. What do you do when, when your heart says, this is where I need to go and this is what I need to do, and that's the, that's the desire of your heart. But the desire of your flesh wins that battle. How do we handle that? And where do we go with the guilt when we come up short? Uh, guilt is a very complicated thing, and I don't think that I can, can, can answer all the questions surrounding guilt today. I don't think that, that even Psalm 32 is going to answer every single question uh, about what we do with guilt, because guilt can be complicated. There's all different types of guilt that are out there. There is a, a kind of a misplaced guilt at times. There's this false guilt that people want to place upon us, and there's a, a misinformed conscience where we feel guilty for something that's not even wrong, but, but something in our conscience just tells us that that was not wrong. And so we, we need to know what to do with guilt when guilt comes. And, and here's where many of us probably struggle is finding this balance between God's grace and, and God's commands. Um, and sometimes we get out of balance. We, I know for me, I, I have spent a lifetime reading scripture. And when I go to scripture, I shared this with you last week, but I tend to look at what are the commands? Tell me what I need to do. 
What is it that God expects of me? Give me, give me the rules, give me the, the, the expectations, and then I will do my best to meet those expectations. And that, we said, was the goodness gospel. The, the, the tendency for me is to, 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 to see God's commands and God's laws and to want to put those in bold font, all caps, so they stand out and I got it. I can read scripture and I can show you three things we're supposed to do. And yet that scripture may not be about so much what we're supposed to do. It's what we're unable to do and what we need the Holy Spirit to help us to do. When we get out of balance, we, we take the commands and the laws and we, we put them in this big font, bold font, all caps. And then we talk about God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. And it's almost like a little footnote at the bottom of the page that you've got to put your glasses on to be able to read. It's there but man, we like to focus on those, those commands and, and, and God's grace and God's promises sometimes be, are relegated to a, a footnote. And we read the Bible and we ask this question, what am I supposed to do to be a good Christian? Instead of saying, who am I supposed to be in order that I can become that good Christian? We focus upon what we are to do. And, and scripture is not so much about what we are to do as to, as to, as, as about what Jesus has done for us. And so Psalm 32 is not going to answer all these questions. It's not going to, to, to sort everything out, but it will provide us today kind of a framework that we can look at about how to deal with objective guilt. Now, this is maybe a term you're not familiar with. When I heard this term, I, I had to stop and think, okay, what is objective? There are things that are subjective that you look at and you go, okay, I, I prefer this or I prefer that. It's subjective. But objective guilt is is guilt guilt that's legit. It's guilt that, that is there. And, and objective guilt, if we could just kind of define that this morning to, to work around, is, is this, this gap between this is what my heart really wants to do. Man, I want to pursue Jesus. I want to be godly. I want to love my wife. I want to model for my kids. I, that's what I want to do. That's what my heart is set on. But this is what I tend to do. And there's that gap between what I want to do in my heart and what I find myself doing in my behavior, that gap that's there. It, it's, it's not something new to us. It's not something that's just kind of popped up on the scene today. It was there in David's day in the Old Testament as he's writing the Psalms. It was also there in, in Paul's day in Romans chapter 7. This objective guilt is the gap between the obedience that we want to give to God and what we actually pull off in our day-to-day life. The gap between what our hearts want and what our flesh does. So in Romans chapter 7, I want to, to, to share with you a passage where Paul in Romans chapter 7, he, he, can, he confronts this gap that's there. And, and Paul says, look, I want you to know that this is not new for me. It's not even new for you. But in Romans chapter 7 in, in verse 14, let me just read this. And you listen to this struggle and this gap that's there in Paul's life. This is the dude that wrote half the, the New Testament. And he says, I'm going to tell you, there's, there's still this gap between what my heart wants to do and what I know is right and what my flesh carries out from day to day. Listen to how he describes it. He says in verse 14, chapter 7, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but man, I'm of the flesh. I'm sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody here relate to that? I've got this desire, Lord, I want to serve you. I just don't get it done. I want to be. I'm just not. 
And it's not that I lack that desire. I just, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing nothing good dwells in me. Nothing in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. That same sentence again there. So I find it to be a law. Here's the rule. Here's the, here's the way it goes down, Paul says. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It's right there with me, he says. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And it makes me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul is talking about the struggle that is there every single moment of every single day. I have a heart that's set on God but my flesh that's set on something else. In this gap, in this objective guilt that is there, Paul asks this question in verse 24. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm a captive of sin. my, My flesh still wants to pursue sin. My heart's in the right place, but my flesh keeps going the wrong way. And who is going to deliver me? And then he answers that question. In verse 25, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who can set me free. Paul is, 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 is saying what David is going to say to us in Psalm uh, 32. And, and, and so what we want to do in, in this, this message today, what I want to be able to do is to help us to see that there is this gap that is there, this gap that, that resides within us between what we want to do and what our flesh uh, leads us to do. And, and that's not to say that we are without excuse. It's not to say that we are here and, and we've got this great cover-up. You know, this the devil made me do it. That's not what Paul's trying to say at all. He's saying, let's be real. There is a battle and there's a struggle between what we want and what our flesh wants and it's an everyday battle and there's days that we don't get it right there's days that we fall flat on our face who is going to deliver us paul understood what to do with guilt and so did david but get, grab this church grab this our enemy satan wants to use guilt to drive a wedge between us and god He wants to use guilt to drive us out of the presence of God the way that Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden. He wants to drive us out of the presence of God, that fellowship that we have with God, and he wants to drag us into something that is destructive. Satan tends to want to drag us into despair where we think, man, I'm just stuck. I I can't do this. There's just no way. I might as well just, just, I, I just can't. I'm a failure. That's despair. Or he wants to drag us to indifference. Well, I can't. I just can't do this. So why try? We'll just give up. Either despair or indifference. Satan wants to rob us of the joy of forgiveness that God intends for us. He wants to rob us of the joy that comes. Of this joy of forgiveness, which is the theme of Psalm 32. My prayer is that this, this, this psalm will cultivate in us three instincts that run counter to our natural instincts. Three things that only the Spirit can do inside of us. It's not something that we pick ourselves up by the bootstrap and say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Here's three things I need to do 
These are things that only the Holy Spirit can cultivate inside of us. But if we will come humbly before the, the Holy Spirit and we will allow him to do his work, he can cultivate these three things in our heart and in our lives, which will transform us and show us what we are to do with the guilt that comes when we fall short. So let's go back now to Psalm 32. If you've got your Bibles there, let's, let's, let's read through Psalm 32. And let me share with you some of the things that, uh, that, that, that David shares with us here in this psalm. Let's, let's read through it together. It says this. Says it's a maskil of David. Okay, this is a psalm of David. A maskil was a teaching instrument that was used to instruct or to guide a, a group of, of worshipers. And so here he's saying this is as a, a, a maskil of David. He says, "Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away." Through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as, the heat, as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. There's three things that I think we're going to, to see here. Three things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. These, these healthy uh, 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 instincts that he wants to, to put inside of us. When we find ourselves in that gap, what does the Holy Spirit want to do in us? These are the three things. Let me give them to you, then we'll come back and unpack them, okay? Number one, he wants to teach us to run to God, not from God. To run to God, not from God. Number two is to believe the gospel. And number three is to help others in that same process. So we want to run to God, we want to believe the gospel, and then we want to help other people to do the same thing. Let's look at the first part of it, to, to run to God. Here, here is Psalm 32. It's this, it's this Psalm of David. And you know who David is. David was a famous king. He was a king that was described as a man after God's own heart. There is the desire, right? David was selected by God to be king of Israel because he had a heart that was set on God. But we know that just as famous as David was, as a man after God's own heart, he was also famous for something else, right? He was a man after God's own heart, but he was a man after Bathsheba's body. He, he, in his heart, he wanted to serve the Lord. In his flesh, he wanted something else. And David sinned greatly. Just as, as, as great as his fame was, so great was his sin. And in the midst of his sin, he sent the guards to get Bathsheba and to bring her. And they didn't ask. They just grabbed her and they brought her to David. And she became pregnant. And then this cover-up begins in David's life. He's got to figure out, how do I cover up the pregnancy? Her husband's off at war fighting for me and fighting for our nation. 
So he brings the husband home, and he says, hey, give you a little vacation, go home and enjoy your wife. And he goes, I can't go enjoy my wife while all my men are on the battlefield. Oh, wow. This guy's got more integrity than David does. And David's cover-up begins, and it gets so extensive, and he continues. So he sends him back to the front lines, and he has him executed, basically. And the man's killed. And David says, "Ah, my sin is covered. Nobody will ever know that he didn't go home and sleep with his wife. Problem solved. Sin covered. And then God sends a courageous prophet named Nathan. Remember Nathan? He comes and he tells David this story. And he draws David in. He says, David, what do you think should be done to this evil guy? And David's like, man, he needs to be done away with. And Nathan looks him in the eye and does what most men wouldn't have the courage to do. And he says, David, you are that man. You've sinned greatly before God. And you haven't come clean. You've sinned greatly before God, and you haven't accepted responsibility. You've sinned greatly before God, and you think you've just covered your sin. You have not. It has not escaped the eye of the Lord. You are the man. (coughs) He says to David, it's time to come clean, David. And there's something about somebody else knowing our secret. Nathan knew. God knew. And in that moment when Nathan confronts David, David is, is overcome by the grace of God, the guilt of his sin, the grace of God that's available to him. And it's like light pours into his dark heart. And grace begins to soften these, those calluses that had built up in his life. And David melts. And David repents. You say, how do you know he repented? Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance. It's, think, think about this. Your, your, your thing that you've done in your life that you are most embarrassed about. And the music minister at church comes to you and says, hey, let's make a song about that. Anybody up for that? Let's take your most embarrassing moment, your, your, your biggest folly, your biggest sin, your biggest whatever, and let's make a song about it that we can sing every week at church just to remind everybody of how gross sin really is. But that's what happens in Psalm 51 is that David comes clean. Look at, look at, let, me just, let me share with you some of David's words here as he's, as he's cleansing before the Lord. He comes before God. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. The cover-up is gone. The, 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 the door's been blown open. David is accepting responsibility for what he's done. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's carried that filth for way too long. He says, I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, Lord, and I've done what's evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Here's what David's saying. Let's translate that in, in, into our language. He's saying, God, I blew it, and I was sinful. And God, here's the truth. If you decided right now to slay me and to take me out, you would be perfectly justified to do it. I don't deserve what I'm asking for. I don't deserve for you to do what I'm begging you to do. But God, I come before you guilty. I don't need a lawyer. I don't need somebody to plead my case. I don't need anything like that. I need to be honest. 
And for far too long, I have not been. God, if you were to wipe me out right now, you would be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in, in iniquity and, and, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I've been sinful all my life, David's saying. And, and behold, you delight in truth. I've been in a cover-up. But what you've wanted for me, God, is to be honest and to be truthful before you. You delight in truth in, in the inward being. No secrets. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let, let, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. What did he say in Psalm 32? When, when I conceived, uh, concealed my sin, my bones ached within me. Here he's saying the same thing. He's saying, let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Here we go. Take me back, God, to that heart that I had that was for you. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He says, God, if you'll do this, if you will restore me to yourself, I know I don't deserve it. I know that that you could strike me dead and you would be justified to do it. But God, if you choose to have mercy, if you choose to cleanse me, if you choose to restore the joy of my salvation, then God, here's my promise. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Here's what David's saying. Lord, I don't deserve your mercy, but I'm desperate for it. I don't deserve your forgiveness. That that, that what I deserve is, is to just be wiped out right here, not to draw another breath. But God, if you choose to have mercy, if you choose to pour out grace upon me, then I will take this opportunity to shout to the world, not to hide my sin, not to be ashamed of my sin, not to live in the guilt of my sin, but to take what I've done wrong and to instruct others so they don't go where I've been. Lord, I'll use what time I have left, what influence you have given me, what what, what you've put at my disposal. I'll use that to let the world know that, that hiding your sin and living in that trap of guilt is not the way to go. You say, well, did David keep his promise? That's Psalm 32. There's the instruction. Lord, I will instruct the transgressors in your ways. Here it is. It's this psalm that's there. So in Psalm 51, he he comes clean before the Lord. He stops hiding. He says, God, if if you judge me right now, you will be justified to wipe me out. But I need you and I want you. I want your forgiveness. I'm guilty. If you'll do it, I'll tell others. And guess what God did? God did for him what God would do for us if we would just come clean. And that is God set David free. He forgave him. He poured out his grace and his mercy. So back to Psalm 32, we get back to Psalm 32, and it tells us that this is a, a psalm of David. It's a, a maskal, which is a, a, a teaching instrument that was used to tell a story, to, to be able to turn people away or to instruct them in the path that they should walk. And so Psalm 32 here is going to warn us of turning away from God. And it testifies of the grace and the forgiveness that is ours if we will only repent. Let's look at verse 3 and verse, verse 4. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. 
through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. If you've ever tried to carry the load of guilt, those words right there probably describe what you experienced. My bones wasted away, groaning all day long under this heavy burden of guilt. He says, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That's the conviction of the Lord upon David's heart trying to draw him back. But Satan trying to use that conviction as as condemnation to drive him from the presence of God. He says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Picture a twig trying to grow in in the desert and it just shrivels. David said, that was my heart. That was my life as I was trying to carry the guilt of falling short. Here's the truth. This, this, this heavy hand upon the Lord, this conviction that was upon David was a gift from God. Conviction is not fun, is it? But it's a gift from God. Because without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Without him doing what God has sent him to do in our lives, we would continue in the cover-up, and we would continue in our sin, and we would continue to, to be weighted down with more and more and more sin and guilt. Conviction, even though it's uncomfortable, is a gift from God that draws us back into the presence of God. Now, there's a big difference between conviction and, and condemnation. We talked about this in our gospel community last week. But, but, but conviction always draws us back to God. It's the Holy Spirit saying, what you've done is not right. What you've done is not what I desire for you. What you've done is not best for you. Come back. That's conviction. Come back and find forgiveness. Condemnation is what Satan throws at us. It says, you are a sorry, no good son of a gun. You will never amount to anything. Look at this. You call yourself a Christian, and, and look what you just did again. It, it reminds, it focuses us upon the gap instead of upon the grace. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from Satan. Romans 8 1 says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Soon as Paul finishes Romans chapter 7 and, and, and this, this thing between the, the gap that is there, he comes right back and says, Listen, guys, it's not about condemnation. It's about conviction, and it's about what to do with this guilt, but it's not about condemnation because if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. It's all been lifted. I wonder how many Christians today are living with a cover-up of their sin. They're carrying guilt, and they feel very far from God. David says in Psalm 32, I know what that feels like. I've tried that. I've lived on that street Verses 3 and 4 that we just read talk about the results of living that way, of not coming clean before God. There's pain, there's distance, there's guilt, there's no strength. And the reason that David gives for that is that sin's been concealed instead of being confessed. How many times do we do the same thing? We have good intentions. We, we, we come to church and we study the Word of God and we worship the Lord and we leave here thinking, okay, Lord, this week's going to be different. This week's going to be better. This week I'm going to overcome that temptation. This week I'm going I'm to press through and I'm, I'm really going to get it right. 
and we've barely made it home. And we come face to face with that struggle again. And we may stand for a few minutes, but we don't stand for long. And where our heart is and where our flesh is, two different places. And so many times that flesh wins the battle and guilt comes. But God gave us the Holy Spirit to to convict us and to call us back. And guys, listen, when the Holy Spirit calls us back, it's not with a condemning voice. When the Holy Spirit calls us back, he comes to us and he calls us out. And this is what he says. This is the tone I think the Holy Spirit uses with us. He says, hey, man, I, I, I can't let that slide. Because where you're headed and where this ends is not a good place. If I just turn a blind eye or turn a deaf ear and I just pretend I didn't hear that, I didn't see that, you're going to end up in a place that you don't need to be. Suffering things that you don't need to suffer. Carrying a load that I never intended for you to carry. I I can't just turn a blind eye. I, I need to call you out on this because I love you. And because I want you to enjoy the, the joy of forgiveness. I want you to experience what grace is really all about. So I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to call you back. And I'm going to do my work to draw you back into the presence of God. Because this is not healthy. And it's not best. And it's not going to end well. The New Testament calls that the gift of repentance. And it is a gift. The gift of conviction and the gift of repentance is something that God gives to us. He helps us to do. We don't even do that on our own. So what do we do with a gift? Somebody gives you a gift. You open it. How do we open this gift of repentance? David tells us in in verse 5. He's, look, look at the words, the way he describes how he opened this gift of repentance. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and, and you forgave me of my iniquity and sin. Here he is. He's saying, here's what we did to come clean. Here's what we did. We, 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 just, we, we acknowledged that we're sinful. We confessed our sin before the Lord. I said, I'm going to confess my transgression. I'm not going to cover up anymore. And guys, listen, this is, this is the thing about confession. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not a once and done. It's a moment-by-moment relationship with the Lord. A moment-by-moment experience of God's grace. We don't just do this once. We do this day by day, moment by moment. Why? Because we sin moment by moment. Sometimes we do it by the things that we do. Paul says, those things that I do are the things I don't want to do. And and the things that I do want to do, I never get around to doing. And so some are sins of commission and some are sins of omission. But but we are a a mess. We are a bundle of, 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 of failures without the Holy Spirit giving us strength and helping us to do this, we will fall flat on our face. And so sometimes we do, and we don't just, for, we don't just ask for forgiveness once. We, we come to God continually, daily, moment by moment. Those thoughts that come in our mind that don't belong there, those words that come out of our mouth that shouldn't have come out of our mouth, those things that we say, those things that we do, the places that we go, and the things that we, we lust for and we long for that, are, that don't belong in a believer's life, those are things that we've got to confess to the Lord. And, and when we do, he says, hey, there's, there's great things that come. 
Hebrews chapter 12 tells us of, of running a race. It says that's that passage that you're, you're familiar with where it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. It says, and so therefore what we need to do is we need to run a race. And, and this race is run on two legs. I love the way this pastor described it. He said, he says the race that we're called to run is run not on one leg but on two legs. And one leg is forgiveness and the other leg is, is, is the grace of Jesus Christ. He says it's right here in, in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance this race that's set before us. That's the repentance. Let us set aside those things that don't belong. Let us run. But how do we run? Verse 2, we run looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He says there's two legs that we run on. One is repentance and the other is faith in Jesus Christ. We run by, by, by repenting and we run by trusting in Jesus that he's done enough to cover our sin. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. And so I said, how do we pray? He says, you pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to need something from you every day, Lord. What is it? I'm going to need my bread. But he doesn't stop there. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Here's what Jesus is saying in that prayer. He says, you need to eat daily? Okay. Ask God to supply it. You need forgiveness daily? Go to God and find it. Every day we're going to fall short, and every day God stands ready to forgive. What we've got to learn to do is to to take out the trash, if you will. When I was in college, I had a, a home repair business in Houston that I owned, and I would get calls from time to time to go out and do jobs. And and our music minister in the church that I attended, his father-in-law owned a bunch of rental houses. And he was in charge of making sure that collecting the money and and fixing the things that were broke. And he learned that I had a business and wanted to throw me some business. So he began to let me work on some of these rent houses that he had. And I remember one of them he sent me to, it was to change a hot water heater. And so I went out to, I bought a hot water heater and I went out to this house to change it. And I I knocked on the door and they let me in. And this house is just, oh, it's unbelievable just the grossest place I'd ever walked into in my life. There wasn't a door in the house. They'd all been knocked off. Sheetrock was falling. In the corner of the kitchen right beside the stove was meals that they had just taken their skillet and slung it in the corner, and it was covered with maggots. It was nasty. And I go, okay, where's the hot water heater? I need to change this hot water heater, and I want to get in and get out because this is a nasty, nasty place. I say, well, the hot water heater's out in the garage. And it was a little detached garage, and out in the garage was a hot water heater. And so I walked out in the garage, and I couldn't even see the hot water heater they had, they, I know it was a hundred trash bags full of trash. Then instead of taking it five more feet out to the street, they just piled it up in the garage. I don't know how long they've been throwing their trash bags in that garage. Big black trash bags, must have been a hundred of them. I had to move the trash bags away from the hot water heater to take the old one out. And I'm thinking, why don't you just take the trash to the street? <laughs> how hard is that? People get paid to pick this stuff up. Just take it out to the street. And I thought how ridiculous it was for them to live that way. And then I think about how ridiculous it is for me to live with unconfessed sin. I'll just cover that up. I'll just ignore that. I'll just... How ridiculous is it for us as believers not to just let Jesus take the trash out? That's what he came to do. He came to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all the unrighteousness. And all we have to do, Scripture says, is confess. Confess and repent to turn away from our sins and to admit that we've got a problem. 
And so we got to take the trash out. How often do you take the trash out? As often as it fills up. Is y'all's house like my house? If I go and throw something in the kitchen's trash and it's starting to get full, I'm like, let's just mash it down. I don't want to take it out. Let's just mash it down. And then you try to get the bag out of the trash can, right? And it's got this suction on it. And you just, you got to grab it with your feet and you start trying to pull the trash out. And it's all because I didn't empty the trash when I should have emptied the trash. Listen, guys, we do the same thing with our sin. Same thing. Take out the trash. You sin, come before God. Run to God, not from God. That's the hardest thing to do, isn't it, though? It's the hardest thing to do is to go to your Heavenly Father and say, I blew it again. Because in our mind, we think, man, he's going to be so fed up with me. He's going to be so disappointed in me. He's going to be so disgusted with me. He didn't want to see me come in there again and admit it. You get that feeling inside of you sometimes. It's kind of like if you wrecked your dad's car. And you go, oh, i got to go tell dad that I wrecked his favorite car. It's not that way with the father. It's not that way at all. So Jesus tells us, come, take out the trash. Come to me, confess your sin. Confess it immediately. So you run to God, not from God. Don't hide from him. Don't conceal it. But we've been doing that since the garden. Remember what Adam and Eve did when they sinned? What's the first thing they did? They ran and they hid. But here's the gospel. God still came in the garden. And he called out to them, where are you? Where are you? God didn't ask that question because he didn't know. God asked that question to give them the opportunity to say, I'm over here hiding. Okay, why are you hiding? I made you for myself. Why are you hiding? Well, we sin. And guys, from the garden forward, We've repeated that story again and again and again. This psalm, though, is not centered upon David's failure. This psalm, Psalm 32, is centered upon God's grace and God's forgiveness. Now, it includes discussion of David's failure. It it includes the discussion of the guilt that David carried as he covered up his sin and he refused to come clean before the Lord. But this psalm centers upon God's grace that confronts our sin but also cleanses our sin. It's grounded on God's grace. Look again at verse 5. Maybe I didn't read this with the right enthusiasm the first time. I want you to to hear David's words, okay? Because here's what David's going to do. David's starting off early in this psalm, and he's, he's, he's focusing upon the grace of God. Look at this. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. And I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me. You cleansed me, he says. Who does that? Who does that? I sinned, I covered up, I hid it, I pretended. And when I finally confessed, God, you forgave me. What kind of a God does that? The one true God. The one true God. You forgave it all. 
So we run to God. Why? Because we'll never exhaust God's grace. The second thing we say we've got to do is to believe the gospel, to remember the gospel, to believe the gospel, to center our lives upon the gospel. You see, here's the deal, and I love the way this this guy said this this in this podcast. He says, David is not yawning his way through worship, and he won't let you yawn your way through worship. He sees you yawning, he's going to get in your face, and he's going to say, let me tell you why this is important. Let me tell you why this is so real. David is fully engaged. He is stoked here. He can't believe that God forgave him. And so he can't contain the joy that came as God restored to him the joy of his salvation. It was like a discovery that's too great to keep to yourself. David just had to blurt it out. He just had to to do that. And so before David can even get to his sin, he's got to shout out, I am forgiven. Ever been there? Know what that feels like? To finally come clean, to finally pull the curtain back and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's me. And God erases it all and forgives it all and makes you brand new. David says, I'm forgiven. And let me tell you why that's so huge. Here's my story. He leads with forgiveness. And then he says, let me tell you my story. He said, I was a guy that was rebellious. I had a heart that wanted to do right, but when I didn't, I didn't run to God. I didn't get it right. And I suffered because of that. And I don't want you to suffer the same thing I suffered, David says. It's interesting that Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 32 both begin with the same phrase. Blessed is the one who. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who walks with God. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one who doesn't, but is yet forgiven. Listen to what he says. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 1, blessed is the guy that gets it right. Psalm 32, blessed is the one who doesn't, and yet God forgives him. This is the great news of the gospel, that forgiveness is for any and for all who will come and genuinely repent. The Old Testament sacrificial system, they they would take and and they would symbolically place all the sins of the the nation upon this animal, this scapegoat, and and, and it would would be the, the animal that would take away the sins of the people symbolically, pointing forward to the day when the true Lamb of God would come and would take away the sins of the world. And so when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by, he says, there, there is the Lamb of God, the one who come to take away the sin of the world. Hey, listen, listen. Let him do his job. It's what he came to do. He came to take away the sin of the world. We need to let him do that. Take the sin, take the guilt, take the shame, take all that away. Why? Because that's what he bore on the cross for us. It's the great exchange. Verse 6 talks about that here. He says, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. In other words, let's come before the Lord and let's confess before it's too late. 
Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Here's a, a, maybe imagery flashing back to the day of Noah. And, and, and the cross of Christ becomes for us like the ark was for Noah and his family. We hide in the cross and we escape the floodwaters of God's wrath. Or we remain outside the cross of Christ and we suffer the wrath of God. Verse 7, look at this. This is so powerful, guys. Verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. What's David saying? I want you to grab this because this may be worth it all this morning, okay? The God that David had been hiding from is now the God that David is hiding in. The one whom he feared is now his refuge. The one whom he didn't want to disappoint, he didn't want to admit that he'd fallen short, is now his refuge. The one he should have been or felt like he should have been hiding from is now the one he's hiding in. So where do we go with our guilt? We run to God, not from God. We find him to be our hiding place and as we do he preserves us from trouble and verse 7 says he surrounds us with shouts of deliverance what did David do to get there verse 5 I acknowledged my sin I didn't cover up my iniquities and I confessed my transgressions to the Lord and he forgave me that's the gospel So we run to God. We believe the gospel. And the third thing that we do is we help others to do the same. Remember in Psalm 51, David said, Lord, if you'll forgive me, I will teach transgressors your ways. I will instruct them. I will will sing your praises. I I will spend my life telling the world of the great grace and mercy you poured out on me. David says when you get set free, you spend the rest of your life telling people how you got free. There's three truths that I think we can build upon as we kind of wrap things up today. Three things that I see in in this passage that I think are are important for us to grasp. Number one is that humble confession leads to forgiveness. David says, I'm I'm not going to conceal, I'm not going to hide, I'm going to confess. Humble confession leads to forgiveness. See, David here is not just telling his story. He, He is telling his story, but he's not just telling his story. He's inviting us to experience it too. Is David praising God for delivering him? Or is David instructing the people? He's doing both. He's doing both. He he is coming with, with humble confession before the Lord. He's found forgiveness. And now he's not just telling us his story, but he's inviting us to experience it too. Verse 5 says, I did this and God forgave me. And if God did that for me, then then God can do that for you. Verse 6, he says, this is what I did. I confessed and God forgave me. Therefore, let everyone do the same thing. Let everyone come before the Lord. Don't wait. Don't hide one minute longer. Because hiding cannot bring healing, but confession can bring cleansing. So we are called to hide in Christ. 
When you read in the New Testament that phrase again and again, those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, that's where we are to live, is in Christ. Knowing that what he did was enough for all of us. Verses 8 and 9, the, 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 the speaker changes here. David's been telling his story. Verse 8 and 9 now is God's response to this. And God says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. David has repented. He's been forgiven. And now God wants to lead him forward. He says, I will instruct you, David. I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. This fatherly love, I'm going to guide you, David, so we don't end up there again. But then he offers him a warning in verse 9. I need this, this warning, and you may need it too. He says, I will guide you. I will instruct you. I will counsel you. But verse 9, he says, but do not be like a horse or a mule. Anybody here got a little stubborn streak in them? David says, don't be like a horse or a mule that lacks understanding. Because the horse or the mule without understanding must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not come to you. It will not stay near you. Let that image sink in for just a minute. Let me guide you. Let me instruct you. Let me counsel you. If you will, we'll just walk in joy. But if you become stubborn, like a horse or a mule that wants to do its own thing, I've got a bit and I've got a bridle. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. God's saying, you can let me lead you or you can let me discipline you, but you're mine. And God reserves the right to use the bit and the bridle. But he prefers just to lead us, just to guide us, just to counsel us, just to be that father that, 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 that points the way and guides us through life. That's what he prefers. He says, but if you insist, there's a bit and a bridle that we can use. It's called Discipline. And discipline's never fun. I'd rather bless you than discipline you. Which leads to the second truth. And that is that stubborn disobedience leads to a harvest of pain. God comes, His Spirit convicts us, He calls us back, and we continue the cover-up. We continue to pretend that it's just not there, that it's not my problem, that I'm not guilty. And we begin to play the role of the defensive attorney, trying to find somebody else to blame or a way to shift the spotlight or to take the light off of us and the heat off of us. And, and, and when we do that, we become stubbornly disobedient, and that leads to a harvest of pain. Some of you can testify to that. Most of us have lived that, where we sow our wild oats, and then all of a sudden we want to pray for a failure of the harvest. And it doesn't happen that way. When we sow sin, we can reap pain if we won't come clean before the Lord. Confession brings cleansing, but cover-up brings discipline, God's saying. Because God disciplines those that he loves. He chastises his children for their good. It's not comfortable, but it's necessary to keep us from self-destructing. And the third and final thing that we see here is that we have a choice to make. We get to choose which path we walk on. 
We can walk in His forgiveness. We can walk in His grace. Or we can walk in His discipline. We can follow His counsel, His instruction. Follow His loving voice. Or He can put on the bit and the bridle and to bring us back to Him. Verse 10 says, here's the choice. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But, here's the contrast, the choice. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Let me ask you this morning. Do you trust in the grace of God? Or are you still trusting in your ability to be good? Do you trust that when you fall short and there is this objective guilt, this gap that you find yourself in where where what you want to do and what you actually do are are, are not in in alignment with each other and, and you're in that gap? Do you trust that God's grace is enough when you're in the gap? Do you trust that his forgiveness is real, that his love is steadfast, that, 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 that there's nothing that you can do to separate you from the love of Christ, that he desires you and he wants you enough that he would come to Calvary and to die in your place? Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Because he says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Do we trust in him? He says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The psalm begins with joy and it ends with joy. You know why? Because this psalm was written on Joy Street. It's where it lives. It's where it, it's where it resides. And, and, and here it is. It's, it's, it's living there on the street called Joy. And, and David calls you to come be his neighbor on this street. The story is told of St. Augustine, who wrote this massive book called Confessions. And in that book, he outlines all the millions of ways that he strayed from God and that basically told God to get lost. He lived his life in rebellion against the Lord and all the things that he did, this book of confessions and how he sought to break his mother's praying heart through rebellion. And yet God didn't give up on Augustine. As Augustine is lying on his deathbed, he's unable to get up, and he, he asks, he says, I have one request before I die. And he said to Augustine, what is that? He said, I want someone to come in my room, and I want them to write Scripture on the wall for me to look at as I pass from this life into eternity. Can you find somebody to come and write the Scripture on the wall for me? And they said, sure. And they got this guy to come in, and the guy says, what Scripture do you want on your wall? What scripture, Augustine, will bring you the most comfort at this time in your life? And Augustine said, Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. If we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all the unrighteousness. So today, will you come clean? Will you confess before God your wickedness and your sinfulness and your need for His grace?
Or will you choose to live another day in a cover-up, pretending that you have not sinned? The book of 1 John says, the man that pretends that he has no sin deceives himself. And the truth of God is not within him. But if we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all the unrighteousness. We have a choice to live in his grace, to live in Christ, or to go another day outside that grace, carrying that guilt. What will you choose today? Let me pray for you.